Hello, this is the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast, and I'm your host, Jill Weber. Well, I'm, I'm happy to be here today with Phil Anderson, who is a friend and uh, somebody who really inspires me, and, um, and he is the author of Lord of the Ring, which is a book that we all study when we're preparing to take vows in the order of the mustard seed. So, Phil, actually, first of all, tell us a little bit about the book and how it came to be. So, I, through the church that I was part of, got involved in the 24-7 prayer movement fairly early on. There was a guy in our church who came back from a youth conference called Cultural Shift in 1999, full of these guys in Chichester are doing this thing about continuous prayer and it's amazing and it inspires young people and (laughs) we should do that as well. And through a series of events, we ended up running 24-7 prayer rooms from about 2001 onwards. And through that, I heard the story through Pete Gregg and others of the Moravians and the 100 years of prayer. And um, there was this sense that yeah, they were a real inspiration for us in prayer, but we also started to realise a lot of the other things we were passionate about. So mission and justice and hospitality and community. They'd been pioneers of those things too, and perhaps they were less well known for that than they were for the 100 years of prayer thing, but they were really important. And then as, as Pete Gregg was starting to write a book called The Vision and the Vow, which was looking into this whole idea of the order of the mustard seed and how Count Zinzendorf and others who'd been involved in that covenant, that in many ways was the foundation in their lives onto which God did all of this other stuff that came around the Moravian renewal. I started doing some research around that and just found myself inspired and fascinated by this idea of vow, of covenant, of a rule of life and how people had applied that not in the context of a closed monastic community but of a dynamic, charismatic, crazy, chaotic revival movement that was sort of spreading across a nation and across the planet. And somehow this sense of you can take those ancient foundations and traditions and rhythms and apply them not to this very settled environment, but to this very dynamic, fast-moving, where God is doing a new thing environment, but actually it's built on those same foundations. That really excited me and interested me. So you went to Hernhut? Did you and, and did a bunch of research? and? Yeah, that's right. So Pete Gregg had, all, had already started talking about, he felt that God was talking about somehow a renewal of the order of the mustard seed, a sense that that commitment that they'd made to be true to Christ, kind to people and take the gospel to the nations was as relevant and foundational to us now as it was to them then, even though some of the things we would be doing might look different. And we really felt that if we were going to be, first of all, faithful to that heritage, and secondly, if we were going to just follow Jesus' injunction to kind of, you know, if you're going to build a tower, count the cost first. If, if you're going to do things, look into it properly. Don't just jump in there with both feet. Mm-hmm. Then we needed to research the history and properly understand what's the theology behind this. Um, is this a, a spiritual legacy that we feel we it's you know safe and right and encouraging to, to join ourselves to and sort of use as a foundation in what we're doing? So, yeah, I did some research in this country. That led me to the Moravian archives, which are in a place called Muswell Hill in London. And then finally realised that 
to fully understand this, you had to go back to the place where it all began, which is Herrenhut in Germany, where, where all of these things first happened. And I, to me, I wanted to do that as a form of pilgrimage, to explore the idea of pilgrimage. And given that I'm a pilot, that's one of the things I do. The, the, the way to do pilgrimage to me was, was to fly in a plane. So I managed to persuade Justin Blake that this was a good idea. And, um, the, 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 Let's fly to Germany. The, the two of us flew in a small plane through all kinds of weather across um, sort of Holland and the Low Countries and into Germany and right across to the far side of Germany. I mean, where Herrenhut is, it really is, next stop is Poland. It's that far away. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, that's all recorded in The Lord of the Ring as well, which some people may have read. But to me, that, that process of travelling, of meeting people there, and then of doing some of the real practical research in the Moravian archives at Herrenhut, where they are so gracious in sharing their heritage with people who are inspired by that. And th- th- there's almost this, this delightful sense that they know what they've got, but they don't know. So we asked, um, do any of the original rings still exist? And the guy said yeah, I think we might have them in a drawer somewhere. And he, he, he started going through these kind of archive covers. He said, oh, yeah, here they are. And sort of opened this thing. He was fairly new to the job. He'd never seen them before, but he kind of, the catalogue said they were there. And it opened it up. And here, were the, I think there's five rings and a medallion, something like that. They're, they're like enamelled. original rings. Yeah, you can, oh. you can see the writing on them. That was the first place where we managed to confirm what the actual text they had on their rings was. Wow. Um, you, you can find reference to the, to the Bible verse. It's um, Romans 14, 7. But um, exactly what it said in the Greek on the rings, we saw there for the first time. We had to kind of decode it from photos I took. But, I mean, we know that the rings were given to them by the Zinzendorf family. So it's very probable that one of the rings was the one worn by Zinzendorf we don't oh. quite know for sure yeah. and you just feel this incredible connection to the history you've read about it you've researched some of it you've been inspired by it and you've had this sense of the Holy Spirit whispering that that which I was doing in their generation 300 years ago the thing that they were inspired by which was a movement called the Bohemian Brethren who were about 600 years ago pre-reformation wow. I'm that same heritage, that same wells that your fathers dug and drank from, I'm bringing to life again in your generation. This is kind of what you can feel God whispering to you in those moments. So this sense of on the one hand, you're stewarding something that's very much for now, but has really deep roots and goes way, way back. And that both that provides an inspiration, but it also provides an anchor, a sense of humility, a sense of connectedness to something bigger than yourself because the work of the kingdom of God in the world is always far bigger than our ministry or our movement or the thing that we're doing right now and always started way 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 before we showed up on the scene yeah it does and obviously it all goes back to Jesus it goes back to that all those disciples who faithfully stewarded um you know that pursuit of Christ's kingdom through generations and it goes back to a dream of the Father heart of God and of the Trinity, which goes from before creation of itself and before the creation of men and women. And, you know, there's these huge cycles from, you know, the heart of God in creation to to make men and women in our own image through, you know, the fall and Christ and redemption and salvation and all that's been worked out with that, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. I think that connectedness gives us a sense of humility it really is a deep resource that we can draw on. But actually, 
you have that, that kind of cry you read about in the Bible, Lord, we have heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your wonderful deeds, O God. Renew them in our day. In wrath, remember mercy. In our time, make them known. Is that Habakkuk? I think it's Habakkuk, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Renew them in our day. So talk to me about... Um, Talk to me about your experience. You are a cohort leader, so you're taking a group of people through their season of preparation. And and this year you say that that you've kind of really been digging into how this this work of of looking at these vows and these commitments, how that lays foundations. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I really remember it. It was in about our first or second session together. We're, we're a virtual group in different parts of the UK, so we meet on Skype. And um, we'd started unpacking the whole thing of the six practices and what it, what it means to, um, to, to live out those, th- those six things as kind of a customary, a sort of a, a rule of life in your own life. And I remember one of the cohort clearly saying, just, just please tell me that this isn't another list of stuff I've got to add to my Christian life, another list of things I have to do on top of all the things I already do, because I just don't think I could deal with that right now. Yeah. And she was absolutely right. And on the one hand, I felt able to reassure that it isn't about that. And this, this is not about performance. And it's not about having a whole load of extra boxes that God gives you that you've now got to tick yeah. um, in order to say, yeah, I've done the mission thing and I've done the creativity thing and I've done the prayer thing and I've done the hospitality thing. That just isn't how it works. But that, that's become a bit of a theme that we've come back to in our conversations across the course of this year. And one of the things that it's made me realise is that the vow has to be about the deep foundations that Christ is laying in your life not about the height of the edifice that you build on top of those. And whilst I would say that sometimes the six practices and the three vow elements, they do make a really good reality check. So am I actually praying? Am I actually engaging in anything I could meaningfully call mission? Am I actually being hospitable in real ways? Is there an aspect of my life that is reflecting the justice and mercy of God? So sometimes it's good to have that reality check and to be challenged, but it's so easy to move on from that into a kind of performance pressure that says, how many hours of prayer have I done? Tick. How many missional activities have I done? Tick. You know, to to build all these things on. performance comes comparison. Yeah, it does. Right? And so, yeah, anyway. So... I think we've been constantly challenged to come back. So how can this be about laying deep roots? You think around mustard seed, you plant it in the earth. The first thing it does, it doesn't frantically start trying to chuck up shoots. The first thing it does is put down roots. And then the shoots that come are only in proportion to the roots that have been sunk down. And how can we be in that same place? So I've had to learn that as well as the kind of almost self-audit of am I living by the vow that I've made... I have to recognise cycles that are longer and deeper than that. So in creativity, if it is true that creativity is a value, is a set of roots that Christ is building in my life, then it's okay for there to be fallow seasons and fruitful seasons. It's okay for there to be times of planting and times of reaping and times of harvest. And I can trust the Holy Spirit to convict me and encourage me to know the difference between fallow times which are about preparing good soil for growth 
and neglect, which is just about giving up. Yeah. And yeah. because I'm an activist, because I naturally tend towards, let's do this and let's do that and let's try that thing, and that's really <laughs> exciting, um, I am much more in danger of frantically trying to just work the land year after year for another harvest, another harvest, to the point where it's, where, where it's worn out. And I'm probably less um, likely to just neglect it and walk away. So actually the spirit of Christ teaching me about fallow seasons and that that's still creativity, it's still part of a bigger cycle of times and seasons, that, that that's okay, is on the one hand a real encouragement that Christ is doing a deep work, um, but it's also a very welcome antidote to the kind of performance culture which I could drift into and even worse, I could inadvertently disciple others into. Yeah. And we were in another conversation we were having. You were talking about how the 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 Hernhut community started to live into mission, but it wasn't right away, was it? No, and I think that that's a really good example of when Zinzendorf and his friends took a vow to take the gospel to the nations to engage in mission. They had no idea how that would work out in practice. They had met, I think, one missionary because there were very, very few people doing this stuff. They'd been really inspired by his stories, but he was an ordained minister sent by the state church of a nation to one of its colonies. Um, They didn't expect to be any of those things. So what was mission going to look like in their lives? And again, I think their commitment to the idea of mission was very real and it went very deep and laid deep foundations in their lives, even though... You know, it was 10 years before the community at Heronhut really started to take shape. It was 15 years before the first missionaries were actually sent. So, I mean, just think about 15 years of your own life. What were you doing 15 years ago? What did your life look like 15 years ago? To vow and commit yourself to something and to only really see the first fruit of that 15 years on that's a long walk of foundation laying. That's a long walk of discipleship. You know, we tend to read the Bible and this happened in Abraham's life, that happened in Abraham's life. It sounds like this, bam, bam, bam. Then you realise there was a 30-year gap or a 20-year <laughs> gap. Now, hang on, what was it like to walk in this promise and not see it fulfilled for a decade, for two decades? Yeah. That's part of what they experienced. And to me, that's part of going deeper in the OMS vow is understanding that it's okay for God to be making good soil in your life. It's okay for God to be building deep foundations in your life. And then in his time, when it comes to the thing that he wants to do in your life is going to be weighty, um, unless the foundations are there to bear that weight, it's just going to crumble. And the foundation laying is as important as any building that Christ in his grace may choose to do on top of those foundations. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Well, thanks, Phil. That that uh, I think that's quite helpful for those who are in preparation, but but also um, I think we're we're seeing in a number of communities where a number of people, um, like there'll be a, a cluster of people who have all taken vows in a certain geographic area, and and they're starting to gather together and think and pray of like what does this look like for us, not just individually, but what does this look like for us together? And the temptation I've seen in some places, oh, we have to do this, or we have to do that. And and uh, it's been interesting to watch the Holy Spirit just say, okay, just wait, just, just, just look at what is already here, and then invite my presence in here and see what I may be inviting you into. And so it's a uh, 
um, it's, it's been really interesting watching the process of these groups, realizing that they don't have to all of a sudden do a big mission project together. And in fact, one of the, the very explicit principles of the first order of the mustard seed in the 1700s was one of generosity to what already exists, even where it's something that had, to be honest, seen its better days and had faded a little bit. And actually, they, we've actually got it in the rules that have been passed down to us that we, we can still see. They made this very explicit commitment that where they see something which they know had had something of the grace of God or the favour of God on it, even if it's kind of drifted away from its original intent and its original grace, if you like, that they will work towards its restoration and will give generously and sacrificially into seeing the works of others come to fruit, not feeling they have to start their whole thing the whole time. And in fact, they, they explicitly make the point that if a member of the order has an enemy and that enemy is, in spite of the fact that they're obviously doing something which is pretty unloving and unkind in some respects, if they are doing something which is being fruitful in the kingdom of God, they will find ways to allow or support that work, even of somebody who opposes what they're doing. Because they, re- I mean, that, that's a really mature it's place to get to. very countercultural, isn't and it? And very countercultural. <laughs> but yet there's something about that of saying, see what God is doing and recognising that if this is the work of God, we should be supporting it and not allowing differences of personality, differences of theology, differences of opinion to get in the way of that. You know, theology should build us up in the kingdom of God and the body of Christ, not tear us or divide us. Yeah. You know, if, if, it's, if that's what it's doing, then it's not right theology if theology is the knowledge of God. Hmm. So thank you, Phil. This has been, um, I think, really helpful. Can you pray for us? Can you pray for our, our listeners, members of the order, our candidates, people just interested in the order of the mustard seed? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you that all of this is down to you. This is your inspiration. This is your leading. This is the guiding of your Holy Spirit. We claim no credit for the work that you are doing amongst us because it's all part of the building of the body of Christ and the unfolding of the kingdom of God in the world. I pray for those who are in the process of exploring commitment to the mustard seed vow right now, that you would take this time of preparation and would make it fruitful in their lives, that you would use it as a process of laying good foundations and preparing good soil for the work that you will build in their lives in future and for the fruitfulness that is to come. I pray for those who've taken the vow, Lord, that you would take that and you would use it within them as a fresh revelation of your grace and your favour and your love towards them and your love towards every life that they touch where we come under that sense of performance pressure, I just pray that you would gently relieve us of that and show us that that condemnation is not of you, but instead that we would joyfully come under the conviction and leading and grace of your Holy Spirit, that we would allow you to do that deep work in our lives upon which you can then build the true reflection of the image of Christ that you long and desire to see revealed in each one of us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast. For more information about the Order, 
You can find us at orderofthemustardseed.com or on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. May God grant us grace as we follow his invitations to be true and to be kind and to go. Go.